I hate waiting. <sighs> I already feel lighter getting that off my chest. Seriously, I'm so bad at waiting. I was the kid who would unwrap their presents before Christmas just to sneak a peek and then wrap them back up as if nothing happened. I'm the adult who puts way too much thought and strategy into the line I choose at the grocery store or the gas station just so I can avoid a few extra minutes of waiting. And it like literally ruins my day when I make the wrong choice. I somehow uh, managed to give each one of my kids a Christmas present already because I convinced myself they really needed it now instead of just waiting one more week. I mean, just a few days ago, my two-year-old Graham fell and hit his mouth on our bathroom vanity in such a way that it caused his front tooth to go up into his gums. Uh, I've, I've never seen anything like it. It was crazy. There was lots of blood and tears. We took him to the dentist, and uh, here he is, the happy guy that he is, just waiting for his x-rays. Thankfully, the x-ray showed nothing was broken. Uh, the tooth wasn't loose at all. So their answer for us was simply to wait. Apparently, it's quite possible that the tooth will come back down on its own and settle back into place. Although they said it could take up to a year for that to happen. So in the meantime, we just wait and teach him that Alvin and the Chipmunk song because, you know, it's Christmas after all. Uh, as much as I hate waiting, I know I'm not the only one who struggles with this. In our age of instant gratification, waiting is an art form that is long forgotten in our culture. But what do we do when our waiting extends beyond things like Christmas presents and checkout lines and displaced teeth? Maybe for you, the holiday season tends to be more painful than enjoyable full of more heartache than celebration because it amplifies what is not yet as it should be within our world, within our relationships, our families, perhaps even within ourselves. And we're left waiting, longing for what is not yet our reality. If you're sitting in that tension right now, then today's story is for you. Grab a Bible and turn with me to Luke chapter one. After starting this sermon series in the book of Genesis and then moving to the Old Testament prophecies in part two, we finally arrive at the beginning of the familiar Christmas story. Uh, we're going to look at this passage today in three parts, uh, three themes or movements that we learn from the story. And, and those three things are uncertainty, waiting, and hope. And to illustrate these themes, I've chosen an image to go along with each one. Uh, these images are from an Advent artwork series by an artist named Scott Erickson. And you can find the entire series of art in his devotional book titled Honest Advent. I went through it with my community group last year and it is wonderfully raw. Uh, if you're looking for something that sifts through all the hype and lights uh, and perpetual yuletide cheer that can feel overwhelming during the holidays for some, then this is the book for you. And as I introduce each theme, we're gonna leave the artwork up on the screen longer than usual so you have a chance to really look at it, soak it in and reflect on it as I talk. So let's get started today with part one, uncertainty. 
Luke writes this. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary, and the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You've found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son. You're to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? You know, so often I anguish over life's decisions and what direction to take. Uh, should I do this or do that? Should I go here or pursue that? And in many instances, I've, I've wished, I've hoped that God would just make it crystal clear what he wants me to do. Just tell me and I'll do it. I mean, if I could just hear an audible voice or have an angel deliver a message from God, that would make things so much easier. Or so I think. But then I read passages like this one and I realize that oftentimes when God makes himself known, when he speaks or moves in our lives, the result may in fact not be clarity, but even greater uncertainty. How will this be, Mary asked. There's obviously the uncertainty of the biological how. Mary thinks, okay, I may be young, but I know how this works and I'm pretty sure it doesn't work if I'm a virgin. But there's also the social, relational, cultural how. Uh, back then when an unwed girl was found pregnant, it, was it usually resulted in devastating retribution from the community. Matthew's gospel account informs us that Joseph, the man Mary was betrothed to, was planning to quietly call off the wedding. Uh, his discreetness was his attempt to protect Mary from public humiliation and social ostracism or even worse. According to Jewish law, Mary faced the very real threat of being stoned as an adulteress when her pregnancy was found out. Any way you would have looked at it, Mary faced a bleak future because of this message from the Lord. And the visit from the angel would have left her with way more questions than answers. Yet it's this place of uncertainty that serves as the starting point through which God would work. And I can't help but believe that the same is true with us. As I think back on some of the most uncertain times in my life, being a teenager and deciding where to go for college and what career path to pursue, being out of college and choosing to leave my community and everything that was familiar in order to move to the Bay Area, enduring a season of unemployment, stepping into pastoral ministry, navigating marital challenges, losing my brother unexpectedly, pastoring throughout the pandemic, I mean, just to name a few. Each of these seasons of uncertainty, as difficult and disorienting as they were, brought about a transformation in me that I would never have experienced otherwise. And is in the very midst of unanswered questions, in the midst of so much uncertainty, that God began to work. Let me ask you, 
What feels uncertain or uneasy in your life right now? Maybe you even want to hit pause and spend some time thinking about it, writing those things down. Could it be that the uncertainty you're facing, like Mary, isn't proof of God's absence, but the very avenue through which you will experience more of his presence? Perhaps, like Mary, that uncertainty is the very place through which God wants to work and birth something new in you, to bring about a transformation in you that would never happen otherwise. Inviting you to know and experience him in greater and deeper ways. Perhaps instead of asking the why questions that often flood our minds in seasons and moments of uncertainty, what if we focused instead on what questions? God, in what ways are you at work in the midst of this uncertainty? God, what are you wanting to teach me about myself or about you that I wouldn't be able to experience if I wasn't in this season? God, what new thing are you wanting to do in me or through me? This leads us to part two, waiting. You know, scripture doesn't tell us much about Mary's pregnancy. The nine months of waiting between the promise the angel declared and holding that promise in her arms. But any woman who's experienced pregnancy knows just how important this waiting period is. I mean, on one hand, the waiting, it's a gift. It's time and space to allow you to prepare for what you don't yet have, to be formed into someone you presently aren't, uh, to allow the life within you to begin to take shape. It's a season of growth outwardly, of course, but also inwardly. At the same time, the waiting can be painful. Right? It's a season of literally being stretched and enlarged, making space for new life to begin. And the longer we wait, the more painful and uncomfortable it becomes. I mean, to know just how true this is, all you have to do is make eye contact with an expectant mother who is past her due date. It is not pretty. Nugget of advice. As to someone who... Uh, was pregnant past my due date. If you ever encounter such a woman, do not, under any circumstances, say something along the lines of, oh, still no baby? It will not go well for you. You don't have to experience pregnancy, though, to understand how painful waiting can be. I mean, just think of what we've learned so far in this series. The story of Christmas, it begins not with a baby in a manger, but on the first pages of our Bible. Right? In Genesis, after sin and, and brokenness and death enter the world, God gives a promise that in time, one will come who will crush the head of the serpent. Right? In Genesis 3.15, it's the first hint that though everything seems shattered beyond repair, God has not left us. Help is on the way. But for now, the people of God wait. And as we turn the pages of scripture, we journey through the Old Testament, the prophecies that are given to Israel that speak of this coming savior, but still they had to wait. And then the Old Testament ends. 
the prophecies stop. And, and you and I today, we have our Bible and we can simply turn the page, right, to the next part of the story. But for those who were living in this reality, it was not that easy. Instead, the time in between the ending of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament, it was 400 years of silence. 400 years. That's a lot of time. I mean, think about all that we've been through in our country in the last 50 years, 100 years, all 246 years of our existence. That doesn't even come close to the 400 years of just silence. 400 years without any recorded word of God, no voice, no writings, no prophet, nothing. Imagine the uncertainty of the circumstances, the agony and the waiting, the struggle to keep faith in promises given long ago, centuries ago, and to maintain hope for what is still yet to come. Let me ask you this. What is it that you are waiting for? Perhaps it's a relationship to be restored, a, a child to return home, a loneliness to be alleviated. Perhaps you're waiting for a wound to be healed or provision to come through, a womb to be filled or a grief to be eased. Maybe for you, it's difficult to even say the thing you're waiting for because it feels like you're setting yourself up for greater disappointment. So much of life is waiting, isn't it? And one thing scripture clearly shows us is that God doesn't mind the wait. He has all the time in the world. He sees the big picture and the end result. And in fact, he sees the waiting as purposeful. Although we oftentimes don't get to choose if we wait, we do get to choose how we wait. Psychologists point out two different types of waiting we experience in life, active waiting and passive waiting. And these are exactly what they sound like, active waiting. It entails being actively engaged in that waiting period, right? It includes taking deliberate actions and seeking opportunities and participating in the wrestle emotionally, spiritually, emotionally, relationally. I think of my pregnancies with my three boys. There was so much that was happening within me and around me that was completely out of my control. But that didn't mean I had to sit idly by, right? I, I took birthing classes and read books and learned in the waiting. I, I ate healthy-ish and stayed active so my body could be strong and ready for what was to come. I prepared my home and the nursery and engaged in the waiting season I was in. That's active waiting. Passive waiting can be defined as the opposite, right? Waiting that often involves a sense of resignation or inactivity. It's lack of intentional effort or participation in the waiting period, relying more on the circumstances to be changed rather than being changed by the circumstances. What are you waiting for? And how are you waiting for it? And lastly, maybe most importantly, what is your waiting doing to you? Isn't it true that waiting can develop in us a greater strength than we ever knew possible? Waiting can produce a tolerance for discomfort that we didn't know we had. 
Waiting can develop in us a greater empathy and understanding for the pains of others. Waiting can cause us to experience greater joy than we ever knew possible when what we were waiting for is finally fulfilled. Or isn't it also true that waiting can cause us to grow bitter? Waiting can result in us becoming cynical. Waiting could lead to us losing all sense of hope. What are you waiting for? How are you waiting for it? And what is that waiting doing to you? Which leads us to part three, hope. My soul glorifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He's performed mighty deeds with his arm. He's scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He's brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He's filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. These words are a song that flowed spontaneously from Mary's heart. It's often titled the Magnificat, which is Latin for the word magnifies, speaking to the opening line, my soul magnifies the Lord. The song is the first Christmas carol ever composed. And in it, Mary anticipates that the Messiah, the the promised one, the the long-awaited Savior will bring about wondrous reversals in the world that those in power will be brought down and it's the humbled who will be lifted up, that the rich will be sent away and the hungry are filled with good deeds. You know, I thought it was interesting to learn that in the past century, there have been at least three separate instances of governments throughout the world banning the public reading of the Magnificat. Its message, they feared, was uh, too subversive. You see, these words, this song, it's not just a fluffy, catchy Christmas carol. It's a revolutionary, disruptive song. Through this song, Mary envisions God's anointed one upsetting the status quo by turning virtually everything upside down. He's the one who inverts human structures and values. After all, God chose for his son to be born of a poor, marginalized girl instead of a woman of prominence. And what I love about this song is that Mary sings it in the midst of her uncertainty and waiting. Not once the promise has been fulfilled, but while it was still a long way off. Think about it. This song comes before she tells her family she's pregnant. Before she knows how Joseph will react or or how her community will respond. Mary sings this song before there's a baby in her arms and long, long before that baby grows up to do anything that proves he is who the angel promised her son would be. 
This is not a song from a mild, peaceful woman who's being naively optimistic. No, instead, picture these words coming from a teenager, singing to God through tears and struggle and waiting and all the uncertainty that lies ahead, yet is choosing to trust that God will come through on his promises. Choosing to place her hope, not in what is, but in what is still yet to come. I think oftentimes we feel that hope is not possible in the midst of our uncertainty and waiting. But what Mary's song shows us is that hope doesn't come in spite of our uncertainty and waiting, but because of it. You see, uncertainty and waiting don't eliminate hope, they necessitate it. If all was clear, if all was known, if all was as it should be, there would be no need for hope. Think about it, in eternity, We won't need hope. When Jesus returns and restores all things, when all that is wrong in the world and in our relationships and within ourselves is once and for all made right, there will no longer be a need for hope. Hope by its very nature is a waiting virtue. Kate Bowler is a professor at Duke Divinity School who at the age of 35, right after the birth of her son, was diagnosed with stage four cancer. And she's written extensively about how her faith has changed and grown in the midst of all of her uncertainty and waiting. She wrote an Advent devotional in which she says this about hope. Kate says, hope then is the function of struggle. It is the realization of our limitations or of our lack of agency, or the inability for us to save ourselves and the ones we love. This kind of hope is not a wish list sent to Santa Claus. Advent hope is gritty. It shirks all false optimism. It's hope as protest, hope in the face of impossibilities. I love that phrase, Advent hope is gritty. It's hope in the face of impossibilities. In the midst of our uncertainty, in the midst of our waiting, we cling to a hope that is gritty. You see, the gift of Advent, the gift that Advent offers us is the space to acknowledge that all is not yet as it should be. We don't have to pretend that all is calm and all is bright when we know, in fact, that it is not. Advent allows us to name the reality of our difficulties in our personal lives, of the despair and harm throughout the world, and then invites us to stubbornly insist that this is not the whole story. To cling to hope in the midst of our uncertainty, in the midst of our waiting, because Advent reminds us of where our hope truly lies. Let's pray. Good and gracious Father, thank you for your presence. Thank you that we get to celebrate you sending your son, Jesus, in all of his humility and vulnerability to be Emmanuel, God with us. We thank you that Jesus sent your Holy Spirit to be present with us now. And God, we thank you for the hope that we have and the promise that Christ will return once again. And the promise that all of our uncertainty, all of our waiting will once and for all be fulfilled 
in Jesus. God, as we wait for that day, as we cling to that hope, may we continue to experience your presence with us now. And may that presence transform us and change us in the midst of our uncertainty, in the midst of our waiting, and, and, and transform us in ways that never would happen otherwise. God, we thank you for your promise, and we choose to cling to your hope. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Hey, wait, wait, before you go, three things. First, consider becoming one of Cornerstone Fellowship's financial partners. Uh, your donations will ensure that you'll be able to continue enjoying helpful and hopefully life-changing messages like the one you just watched. And then number two, please share the link to this message with anyone who you know needs it or will be blessed by it, or by posting the link to your own personal social media platforms, all of them. And finally, don't forget to hit that subscribe button and turn on the bell so you'll be alerted whenever we post more content. Thanks for watching.